Shall we stand to sing? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. If any man wants to follow me, he must take up his cross and come after me. When I was a student, the university chapel met every Sunday, and I used to go there, and the university chaplain had a a kind of funny little way. He always began his prayers like this. O oh Lord, as we kneel at the cross. It was kind of Alan Bennett meets Monty Python meets Rowan Atkinson. It was just his way, but it was, it was quite funny, I have to say. But actually, it's not a very nice place to be. Not a very comfortable place to be kneeling at the cross. 
But it's even less comfortable to be carrying your own. The words of Jesus in the passage we read raise the simple but searching question, does a cross loom large in your life? Which in turn sorts of poses the question, what brand of Christianity are we buying? Brand X or the real thing? Brand X Christianity is about an easy cocktail comprising niceness, decency, good citizenship, kindliness, neighbourliness up to a point. The real thing seems to be unavoidably about following in his footsteps, following the way, even where it leads with a dreadful inevitability to criticism, persecution, betrayal. On his road, like it or not, a cross looms large. Its shadow follows us all the way. That's how it is with the real thing. We're not very big on crosses, we Presbyterians. We tend not to wear them. We strip our churches bare of them. We don't genuflect before them. We don't cross ourselves. Look around the auditoire and it's pretty much a cross-free zone. So that it might be easy to forget that engraved in the heart of all we do and all that we are and stand for, central to our message and to our identity as Christians, is that ugly symbol of death and pain and desolation. The, the gibbet of the Roman Empire, the execution method of choice of cultured, sophisticated, artistic Rome. Given the essential nature of the cross, its place in the history and the thinking of the church, that Presbyterian silence on the subject of the cross might seem strange and a little skewed. We, we do have a cross, but we put, it, we put it away in a cupboard. Catholics and smaller denominations, they, they get right into it. They, they paint it, they carve it, they sing about it, they wear it, they honour it in a way that we appear to shy away from. We opt more often than not for a more cerebral, a more intellectual, a more unemotional style of liturgy in church life. We're not keen on songs that major on the blood and force us to connect with the messiness and the pain of it. For Presbyterians, a little blood goes a long way. You'll not find us very often singing, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Our approach to communion is revealing while Catholics and Episcopalians and Anglicans encounter the body and blood of Christ on a daily basis, and Baptists and Brethren and Methodists share the sacrament usually every week in some form or another, we've developed a way of sharing in the communion experience that's less frequent, and which could be thought safely distances us from the dark, painful intimacies 
of the sacrament of his broken, crucified body and shed blood, a a slightly sanitized form of sacramentalism where the idea of the death of Jesus and the reality that his blood was poured out for us is somehow kept at arm's length or at least rises up to meet us not too often. So that only then, only now and then, do we have to kneel at the cross and feel in our guts what it costs. And given the tiny proportion of Presbyterians who get their hands on Good Friday, who walk the road to Calvary through the traumas of Holy Week, you could be forgiven for thinking that maybe something else other than the cross of Jesus is at the centre of our identity and the core of our convictions. Nobody did it deliberately, it just somehow got allowed to drift to the edges and we become more focused in our Presbyterian emphasis on world issues, social justice, liturgical purity, ecumenical matters, with the cross, not a core value. The astonishment of those who can't believe it's not butter could be echoed in the reaction of those whose notions about the essence of the Christian faith is challenged by the New Testament emphasis. You can hear them say, I can't believe it's not Christianity, this thing about being nice and decent. You mean there's more to it than that? You mean that embedded in the soil of the faith is the stark reality of the cross he bore and the one he tells us we must carry? Steady on. Now, I'll admit it, I like it when people say, that was a nice service, Mr. Twaddle. But maybe I shouldn't. I was visiting a friend's church, and I came out and I shook hands and I said, that was a lovely service, thank you. And she was not best pleased. For she wasn't in the business of doing lovely She was in the business of challenging in the name of the crucified, suffering Christ, whose ministry, whose death, whose crucifixion in blood and nails was anything but lovely. It was disturbing, it was shocking, it was disruptive. It wasn't lovely, it wasn't nice. And being a Christian is not nice for those modern martyrs murdered in Pakistan or shot dead in South America or imprisoned in China. Being a Christian is not nice for those servants of Jesus who go out on bitter winter nights on the streets with food parcels and soup kitchens bringing love and welcome. It's not nice, I remember, to be a collector for Christian aid and knock at doors and be rebuffed by people with their loveless refusals and their anger. It's not nice to be second mile goers and givers and sacrifices for the cause of the kingdom. It's not nice for the workers who make it happen and keep things moving and leave the fireside and turn up and take their responsibilities seriously. It's not nice to be at the foot of the cross, profoundly, unmistakably aware of the debt we owe to Christ, aware of the truth that he would not be there were it not for me. It's not nice to be at the foot of the cross and still less to have to carry our own. Now, I know people say with a a shrug, yes, well, we all have our crosses to bear. 
But that's used as, as an expression equivalent to into every life a little rain must fall. When people speak like that, they're not really talking about the New Testament meaning, nor the New Testament model whereby choice we go down hard roads, where freely we opt for what is uncomfortable, inconvenient, costly, because it serves the kingdom of Christ and brings it nearer and makes it happen. It's not hard for us to imagine how it must have felt to hear that for the first time. When the disciples had had the good news from Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says, but here's the thing. The Christ will suffer and be rejected and carry a cross. And by the way, so will his followers. If you want to be a follower of his, you'll have to take the same hard road. And carry the same rough cross. Oh dear. They didn't want to hear that. It's like a, a learner driver coasting along and suddenly finds the wrong gear. And there's a horrible crunching grating sound. Mind you, you couldn't accuse Jesus of Nazareth of not telling it like it is. Laying it on the line, coming clean. He gives it to them straight. The party's over. It's going to get tough. People are not going to understand you. And then they're not going to like you. And then they're not going to tolerate you. If you're going to be in with me, you need to know. Well, let the record show. Let history show. They were up for it those disciples. Not many of them died in their beds reading a good book with their bed socks on. They accepted the challenge and they changed the world with their courage, their sacrifice and their commitment. And the question is, how did we ever take that brave religion of courageous sacrifice and turn it into the harmless thing it can become? that asks nothing of us and runs the risk, therefore, of meaning less and less to us. What challenge do we present to new generations? Be nice. Be nicer. Be as nice as you can be. Or take up your cross. Be prepared for the battle with yourself and with all the ugliness that robs people of life. The stupidities that fob people off with second best. If you knew for a certainty that being a Christian would take you down the road of suffering because of your faith, not, not the, the rough and tumble that comes as part of the human condition, but suffering and cost specific to your Christian faith, would that make a difference? Would we still say, count me in? Suppose we were asked to make a seriously increased financial contribution towards some big, important purpose of the church. I mean, serious money. Money that we would miss. Money that would mean we couldn't do something that we really thought we would like to do. Suppose we were asked to abandon our favourite night with our favourite hobby 
because there was crucial work to be done and we were needed for that, for the king, for the kingdom, a higher calling. So it hurts where it hurts. Or we were called out of our normal life to a new area of Christian service. Dared to consider giving up the career pattern that you you thought you had in mind. It was all going to be straightforward. You had a game plan and now something completely different is in the equation. Called by God. Suppose we were challenged to stand up among our friends or those who weren't our friends and speak for this faith. Risking isolation and hurt and being set aside. And suddenly it hurts. It's not routine. It's not pick it up as you get on with the rest of your life. It's raw and it's awkward. And you can feel the rough wood of the cross on your back. Are we still in? Are we still with him on his way? It's not that we go looking for suffering and crosses. It's just that they go with the territory. If we're doing it right, if we're serious about it, there will be crosses as sure as eggs are eggs. They say that young people like a challenge. And if we don't allow Christianity to offer them that, if we reduce it to respectability, they won't be interested. Give them a big dare. Give them something high and tough enough to engage their commitment and their imaginations and they will respond. We underestimate them terribly. We do them a grave disservice. We insult them if we think we can only offer them a minimalist Christianity or they'll run. That they can't cope with a challenge. If we remove the notion of a high calling and a big vision... And a true cause from the vocabulary of our religion and offer instead some simpering apology for it. We fail the faith and we fail them. If we've tamed the tiger, if we've drawn the teeth of Christianity, then we do a grave disservice to the gospel. We cheat a whole generation of their birthright to a robust discipleship. It has risk and cost written into the script with an unavoidable clarity. So, how does it feel, your cross? How does it feel? Do you feel its rough wood scrape the skin on your shoulders? The weight of it pressing down on the bone? How does it feel, your cross? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.